Welcome to Kessid. My name is Danny. I'm so thankful that you're here. Uh, my guess is, is that uh, you had probably something else to do, but then the rain came, and so you decided to come to church because your plans got canceled. Hey, listen, that's the Holy Spirit at work, and I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited that he, I'm excited that he, uh, that he blessed you in such a, in such a way. Uh, if you're brand new, thanks for coming. Uh, Kessid is a place, we're, we're saying quite a bit now that it's a place for people who are spiritually curious. It's a place for people who uh, want to go on a journey with their faith. It's a place for people who know the living God and uh, have, have bound their life to the calling that, that he has poured over them. And uh, it's, just, it's just a really unique space to come and explore and come and worship. Uh, and talk about different subjects. So we're in a series right now called Forts. It actually wraps up next week. I'm going to be back to close it uh, next week. It's been a church-wide series, which is why we took our children's kind of set and theme and brought it on stage here with uh, our, uh, our cardboard castle. I've, uh, I've never really thanked uh, James and Julie and different people that came and invested in this, so can we just appreciate them? I know James is in the back. Um, he... <laughs> He built forts everywhere, so he let me know that he loved doing it so much. If you want a cardboard fort at your house, just give him a call. He'll be there. He'll be there. He's, he just wants to build more. He's, he's so excited. Uh, one of the things we were, were doing within the series was uh, challenging you guys to build forts uh, at your homes, to build blanket forts primarily because they seem to be the easiest. And the idea behind this was that we build forts with friends as kids, and the easiest way often to to think about friendship is to go back when it was a lot easier than for some of us it is as adults. So every week we've had different people uh, send in uh, different images of their, uh, their blanket forts, and this week is no different. Uh, this first one, uh, this is uh, the first fort that we've had for an animal. It's, her response is, uh, here, wow, people are really into cats. That was, that was remarkable. Here is a two-tier cat condo blanket fort that it took quite some time for Maggie to admit to liking because she's a cat, but we built it for her anyways, so I thought that was good. Uh, this is Lauren Dory. She says, this is Paisley 6 and Sammy 2 and their grandma and grandpa who also attend Kessid at their age fort building is a regular weekly occurrence. So that's very sweet, very cool. Uh, this is Marlena Fuller. Uh, Marlena and Nathan's son, Lincoln, built this fort in their front room, and then she said, and I quote, Lincoln lived in this for three days, snacks and all. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, this is Elise Espana. The Bryans and Espanas got together and had family dinner, and the kids, with some adult help, built a pretty red fort. We are enjoying and feeling challenged by this sermon series, and the fort challenge was a fun reason for us to get together tonight. That's really special. And then lastly, this is my daughter, Elena, who was babysitting some of her favorite kids, uh, Paige Tatum and Reagan Goodman. And this is the fort they built while babysitting. So clearly, uh, animal forts are a theme of this weekend. Uh, we're going to do a one more. So one more week of this. So we want to we wanna see your images. We want to see what it is that you're building. So please, please let us know. Uh, I'm going to start off today's topic with this statement. Healthy friendships are built to last. Healthy friendships are built to last. We've already spoken uh, a couple weeks ago 
about how there are times when it's appropriate to quit relationships and move on due to areas of unhealthy behavior. And we walked the entire church through a breakup Sunday. I've never heard it done before. And a lot of you, uh, it was difficult but encouraging. And some of you actually did uh, create some space between you and some unhealthy people in your lives. Now, that said, we all know that there are also people who are clinically natured to leave, quit, and break up anytime anything gets hard. We're going to talk a little bit about that today because quitting every single friendship that gets hard isn't the answer. There are hardships that are worth fighting for, and sometimes there is great power in choosing to stay. Now, you could think, wait a second, you just did a breakup for it talk two weeks ago. Now you're going to talk about staying in relationships? Yes. Yes, that's right. And we did the breakup for it first on purpose because it's oftentimes a little bit uh, muddy for us to understand just what is unhealthy, what is toxic, what needs to have space created, and what is something we just need to work through in the name of relational love and presence. And so by doing the breakup for it and defining the toxicity and creating space, I think we're able to kind of identify those, those folks in our life that, that maybe are taking too much and not really giving anything. This is about relationships that you have that, that you know deep in your heart you're supposed to do something about, but you just haven't. I have friendships like this. I have friendships that I'm like, man, I, I feel like there's, there's a possibility to have a friendship that's even more, but I don't know if this conversation is going to go well, so maybe I just don't have it at all. And yet these friendships oftentimes are the ones that are the most life-giving if we are willing to invest in them. In some situations, I'll put this on the screen in just a second, in some situations, of all the ways one person can prove his or her love to another, the most tangibly communicated is that of remaining. Uh, this was sent to me by a woman in our church, this quote, and it goes on. I'm going to read you the rest of the quote. And what's funny is she sent it to me to encourage me during the, during the friendship series, but what I don't know if she realizes she's actually been one of the most consistent friends that I have had over the last 10 or 11 years of Kesed as I've planted it. She has been really, really good at what this quote says. So again, of all the ways one person can prove his or her love to another, the most tangibly communicated is that of remaining. It goes on to say, a daughter who remains by her ailing mother's side, a pastor who remains steadfast at the pulpit every week, a husband who remains faithful to his wife, a mom who remains on the sidelines cheering at a losing game. To remain is to look past inconveniences, the fault, the unnecessary, and the less than ideal, and to say with feet planted and heart unwavering, I'm not going anywhere. I'd take one faithful friend over a bunch of fickle fanfare any day. If we were to condense this and so give you clarity on today's topic, what we're going to call this is the gift of remaining. And I want to be very clear that, that I think we all have friendships that we have disengaged with, that we would still consider these people our friends, but we're not actually remaining in relationship with them because it's just too difficult. It might not be toxic. It might not be abusive. It's just awkward and uncomfortable. And so that's what we want to talk about today, because I believe that all healing and restorative relationships carry an element of this. All of them carry an element around this idea that within that friendship, there is this offer to remain. And I also can show you that ultimately building a friendship with Jesus 
this is a base requirement. And we all know that our relationship with God is supposed to reflect our relationship in the world, not the other way around. So let's start with what it means to, uh, to learn from him about remaining. John 15, if you already knew, you've been, uh, you've been studying well. If you didn't, this is kind of the remaining passage that I think gives a really beautiful foundation for how we are to have relationship first with God and then with others. This is what it says. We'll start in verse 1. Jesus is teaching and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he goes on. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is teaching right here that to be in relationship with him is to remain. This fruit-bearing, life-giving relational offer is also known as something we as Christians call the good news. The good news is this idea that Jesus Christ came into the world and that he offered a different sort of life that you and I could live. And that life has everything to do with remaining in his presence. That word, the gospel, I don't know if a lot of people realize, is actually derived from the Anglo-Saxon word, which meant the story concerning God. The story concerning God. Ultimately, that's what we're professing and learning about and diving into here in our church service and hopefully every church service. It means a gift from God, this story. It is the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins or wrongdoing and sonship with God restored through Christ. It means remission of sins and reconciliation with God, meaning that your presence can remain with his. This gospel is not only a message of salvation, but is also the instrument through which the Holy Spirit works. We as Christ followers are called to share and spread this good news that God wants to be in relationship with you like he's in relationship with me and that transforms my life so that I know how to be in better relationships with other people. This is why people call Christians often incredibly hypocritical because they talk about this connection with God and then they disconnect from every single person that causes them any kind of strife in this world. And they reconnect with other people that are basically just like them. That's one of the things I love about this community. We have multiple age groups. We have people from multiple spiritual backgrounds. We have people looking at the world through multiple lenses. And it causes tension, which is why we try to relieve some of the tension by just naming it. We want to remain in community. That's why Kesed is how it is. Every time a new family comes, it changes our church for the better. You're like, I don't know if you know my family. No, trust me. It's true. Every single time a family comes, it changes our church for the better. Because it changes the flavor and the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit when you show up with your gifts 
and the way that you are called to uh, explore, the way that you are called to experience, the way that you are called to be in a community. But when people come into struggle, even in their church community, oftentimes they just disconnect and no longer remain. And that is not what the gospel is about. It is about hope. It is about a news that can bring wholeness and life, and we are called to share it. This news is only shared through relationship. No other way. I don't know if you've picked up on that yet. Uh, it's only really shared through relationship, through experiencing with uh, you and the people that you live, the Holy Spirit's workings. I'm going to put this on the screen. The gift of remaining is where the seeds of the gospel grow best. It's where the seeds of the gospel grow best. And people who operate outside the gift of remaining are often the ones that can, you can pick up on are the most disingenuous and self-serving. And this is because they aren't often there for connection and wholeness, but for some other various selfish reason. We have all been that friend. We have all been that person where we're leaning into a relationship really to get more out of it than we want to pour into it. Jesus addresses this as well. It's in a passage called the good shepherd versus the hired hand. John chapter 10 verse 7 is where we'll start. Jesus is teaching and he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Let's look at all the different ways he describes himself and the way he operates inside his kingdom. So far, he is, uh, he is the door. He is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd, it goes on, to lay down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's this really descriptive kind of relational, I am the shepherd and you are the sheep and you go in and out of my presence and I protect you. I'm also the door that you go in and out of my, in and out of your story and I am with you and, oh, and I protect you from robbers and I protect you from wolves. And there's all this idea of when you are with me and remaining in me, you are in relationship alongside me and therefore we are doing something different in this world. A little more context about this story just before Jesus is preaching this story, he had been rebuking the Pharisees, the church leaders of the time, for kicking out a healed blind man. Jesus healed a blind man. And he goes, go present yourself to the church. This is the right thing to do. Because at this time, to have any kind of illness physically meant that you had some sort of sin inwardly. It's a really broken theology that actually still exists many times still today. Jesus heals this man and he says, go present yourself to the church so they can deem you clean. And he walks in and he's like, hey, it's me. And they're like, no, it's not you. You're a sinner. You can't see. And he's like, no, I, I see you and your nasty face. And I see you. <clears throat> I see all of you. And they're like, nah, we don't think it's true. But we know your parents. They're still good with the church. Bring your parents in. They bring his parents in and they're like, yeah, that, that's him. And they're like, no, nope, can't be him. And they kick him out of the church. 
Jesus is talking in this place about how these church leaders are basically not operating as shepherds, but as hired hands, as people who only care for people when it's convenient or beneficial to them. This is the transactional kind of relationship that happens when people don't have to remain in relationship with other people because they don't remain in relationship with God or the Holy Spirit. Everything's a transaction. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. If I can gain some profit for, from this relationship, then I'll dive in, you know, all the way up to my neck. But if there's really going to be a lot of cost and I can't get a ton from you, then I'll probably move on to uh, go and hire myself another friend. The theologian Soong Chan Ra notes, I like this quote, that contemporary life, life as we live now, is characterized by movement often at high speeds with the absence of any real connection to the world around us. We transact with people. When you operate with someone at a speed beyond your connection, you can begin to feel as if having a relationship with them is just another job or project to be completed. And that has to do with even people you adore and you find the most connection with. When it moves at a pace it shouldn't, you and I become more like hired hands than like Jesus who shepherded his people, who shepherded his friendships. Um, I experienced this recently with my wife when she had a massive failure in our relationship that I had to call her out on. Yeah, we're going to get into it, people. We're going to get into it just for a second, just for a second. She's here. She knows. She knows. This is my version of the story. You can ask her about her version, but... But, but, but this is what really happened. Um, you know, because I, I, I state it quite clearly, that I am all about fall and winter weather. That's just, that's my jam. That's my favorite. Don't, don't, ugh, that's not, that's not. Okay, Kesson is a place for all kinds of different people. So we don't, we don't, ugh, people when we have different opinions. Wow. <laughs> Should I start over? Like, I, I haven't even got into it yet, and you already, ugh, me. That's rough. I'm going to stand up in order for you to, to understand I'm serious right now. No more uchi, okay? Um, fall's coming, right? And part of fall is uh, that I need, that I, I'm pretty traditional in how I operate and how I do things. And so, uh, and I'm pretty rhythmed. And so when this rain came this last week or so, uh, I uh, expected to open my cupboard and find the same thing we found for the last 24 years of marriage, which is... Uh, those packets that you can make of hot apple cider that you pour in with the kettle and you make hot apple cider. Because when the rain comes, that's what Danny does. 24 years Danny's been doing that. And recently we had a little bit of rain and I opened the cupboard and, and I'm just here to tell you, and it's not to make her, you know, small. It's just to let you know that she's not perfect. Uh, no, no cider at all anywhere in the whole house. And I was operating at a level beyond uh, my capabilities this particular day. And so she ended up coming home, and I was like, hey, it's raining outside. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, um, there's no apple cider in the cupboard. <laughs> she was like, really? I thought, I thought we still had some. Maybe, maybe uh, Elena drank it, or maybe I. And I said, no, no. Let's not make excuses for this, <laughs> <clears throat> for this significant Lapse in judgment. Let's just, let's just, you can apologize and I'll just order some apple cider. 
<laughs> she was like, uh, absolutely not. It's a box of cider, and you can get cider yourself. I'm not the cider queen. I'm not in charge. I was like, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> Only one of us here preaches. I don't need to hear that right now. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? Sometimes you just got to lean into your gift. And I was like, I don't need a three-point sermon, but I will give you three-point reasons why you should have had cider in the cupboard when the rain came, right? You knew it was going to rain for a week. I don't understand. You could overnight this stuff. <laughs> and she looks at me and she's like, I don't really like where this conversation's going. And I realized she was getting upset, which I had not read up to that point. I was just sort of running my mouth. And I was like, well, I mean, I can go get cider. She's like, oh, I bet you can go get cider. You know what else you can do? And then the sermon came and I was like, listen, listen. And I didn't know what else to say. So I said what any husband says when he knows he's losing the battle. I said, I, I just thought you loved me. I, that's all. I just, I, I was like, I was like, I thought, I thought you loved me. And she was like, I'm not talking about this. And she went upstairs and, and I was all by myself for a while. <laughs> uh, I think it was about two days later, I, I came home. And uh, this is what I found on my counter. Aaron and, I, Aaron and I refer to this as the passive-aggressive apple cider fight. That's what we refer to this as. See, this whole thing happened, this whole thing happened because I was out over my skis. I was moving at a pace that I couldn't, and I was just in a transactional conversation of, hey, this is what I expected, and what I expected didn't happen, and so I'm just going to go ahead and give you a list of all the reasons why I'm not going to inquire about about your story or, or, or what happened, or even realize it's not that big a deal. It's just a, it's just a sort of hired hand mentality that happens even inside a marriage and a space with a person I hold dear. This happens to us a lot. We, we don't realize it, but sometimes the people we're in relationship with do. And it is not Christ-centered relationship. That is not Jesus' way. That is not love. Approximately 80 hours after Jesus teaches that earlier parable of the good shepherd and the hired hand, he will have another conversation, but this time with one man, specifically Peter. At this point in the relationship, when this conversation's happening, uh, there's been a great breaking because Peter hadn't remained. As a matter of fact, just a little while earlier when the soldiers came to drag Christ to the cross, the disciple Peter, who had passionately promised to remain with Jesus no matter what, quickly fell away, eventually even denying that he knew who Christ was not once but three times. He left the relationship completely because the transaction would have cost him too much to be associated with Jesus. So even three years of spending time with Jesus when a cost came to, pay, to be paid in order to be in that relationship with God, he said, I'm out. And he ran away. And Jesus went to the cross, and he was crucified, and he died, and then he rose again. That all happened between the story of the good shepherd and the hired hand, and then all of those things happened. And about 80 hours, there's a span right there when then this happens. It says Jesus is already gone. Peter doesn't know that he's now back, that he's raised from the dead. So we're in John 21, verse 1 was where we'll start. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. 
and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathan of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, and I think you really have to feel the disappointment in this statement, I am going fishing. I don't know if you can realize, but, but Peter was a fisherman before Jesus called him. And then Jesus called him to come and be this beautiful thing amongst the disciples, a leader amongst the disciples. He, he anointed him. He taught him. He breathed life into him. And then Jesus, from Peter's perspective, didn't fulfill maybe all the things relationally he thought he would. And so instead of sticking it out, instead of deciding to remain, he did what we all do when relationships get really, really hard and the transactions too much. He bailed and went back to doing what he knew he used to be. He says, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples looked at him and said, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I think it's a profound uh, statement to imagine all these men that were going to be future leaders of the church in this really low spot, relationally distant from God, not remaining, sitting in a boat in the dark, (laughs) not catching anything, and most likely not talking about it. I can tell you this as well, and maybe you're the same, but from my experience, I can always tell when my connection to God feels far away because I always find myself going back to what I knew before him to whatever I was using to cope, to get through my life, to, 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 get, to, make, to get purpose and, 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 and to make excuses. And I often, whenever I'm separate from God, I go back to that space. For Simon Peter, it's back to what he knew. It's back to what he was known as. He went fishing, but apparently he wasn't very good at it because they caught nothing. Then it says, chapter uh, verse 4, same chapter, just as the day was breaking... Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So this kind of gives you this idea that the disciples saw this creeper sitting on the shore just staring at him, but didn't know it was him. You never thought about Jesus as a creeper till right now, did you? But that's kind of creepy. Like, we're out here fishing, and there's just a guy, you know, just sitting on the side of the lake, just staring at me, you know, and I'm like, you see that dude? Yeah, I see that dude. What a creeper. Let's row further over here, right? But Jesus is, you know, Jesus, so he just, he just probably keeps appearing everywhere that they go, and it's just like, what is up with this guy? I love that because it reminds us that even when you feel disconnected and you don't know Jesus is close, he is, meaning Jesus is the expert at remaining. I don't know where Jesus has been a creeper in your life. I have some spaces that Jesus has been a creeper in my life where I'm like, why are you showing up here? You know this is my thing. This is how I cope. This is uncomfortable for you, for me right now, to, to have some person I don't even know suddenly just say, I have a verse for you, or something's on my heart, or you know what, God just wanted me to tell you, and I'm like, ah, creepy, why? Ugh. I don't like it. I'm just going to roll myself over here, <laughs> relationally. He just keeps showing up, though. Even when you feel disconnected and unaware, don't forget, even if you are right now, Jesus still remains. The story goes on. Jesus said to them, he called out, children, do you have any fish? I love this, uh, this because Jesus clearly knows they don't have any fish. He's just sort of like, how's it going? And they answered him really eloquently and really articulately, no. That's all it says they said. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. And my mom told us not to talk to creepers, so can you leave us alone, please? So he says to them, hey, 
cast the net on the right side of the boat and you might find some. So they look at each other and obviously they had no luck till now, so they cast it. And suddenly they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And then that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, I think it's the Lord. Peter suddenly putting it all together when he heard that it was the Lord, put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and then threw himself into the sea to get back to Jesus. The other disciples came in the boat because they were smarter than he was. (laughs) And they actually came with the fish, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they got out on land, listen really carefully and allow the color of your, your imagination to really fill in the blanks for you. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. So Jesus already had a meal for them and still provided for their needs they thought that they required. He already had fish. And he already had bread, which every time I read that story, I'm like, I wonder what fish and bread cooked and baked by the Lord tastes like. I would imagine it would just be like the, the, most, the most amazing, but we don't know. He said to them then, verse 10, bring some of the fish that you have caught. <laughs> bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard because he was already there on the shore dripping wet and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. And then they ate in awkward silence for 15 minutes. That's what I imagine. I imagine that they sat around with Jesus' cooked fish, the bread he made, boatload of fish that they don't they can't even believe and a resurrected best friend and just sort of looked at each other like what is happening right now and peter's just dripping wet sitting there pondering all of the ways that he's let this man down i love that here in this disconnected place an awkward yet familiar conversation and so teaching emerges very next verse verse 15 when they had finished breakfast So half hour, 20 minutes, completely finished. Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, I'd like to imagine after about another six or seven minutes of silence, maybe the first time Jesus, Peter just looked into the fire, that's what I would have done. I'm not locking eyes with the God that I left. Maybe he's still looking into the fire. And so Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. At this point, maybe Peter's eyes fill with tears as he stares through the fire at Jesus. And then Jesus says to him a third time, this time both locking eyes, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Just full confession. You know everything I've done. 
You had fish here. You brought fish. You know I could have rode in with the rest of the guys, but I'm dramatic. Maybe I, maybe I was hoping you'd put me back up on the water. Maybe I need to be reminded that I almost drowned last time we did that thing. Either way, I'm the only one wet here. You know that I love you, and you know that I failed you, and you know that I didn't remain. This is what I think floods into his face as he is grieved and says, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus calmly leans forward and says once again, feed my sheep. Jesus is showing this, that through death on the cross, he had not only defeated death, but that now we would be his carriers as shepherds ourselves of his relational offer to meet the needs of his flock. 80 hours earlier, Jesus is describing his relational remaining. I'm the shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the protector. I'm the leader. I'm the one who keeps the wolves away. Then he goes through all of this torture and then is gloriously resurrected, reminds everybody that he needs to for his movement to start that he's back, and then locks eyes with Peter dripping wet, the only one soaking wet with his choices once again, and says, now you're going to be the shepherd. The Bible calls this under-shepherding. We as Christ followers are called to remain in relationships with people. Not abusive. I'm not talking about toxic. Again, I already went through that. If you have questions and clarity, go back two weeks and listen to Breakup Sunday. I'm talking about the people you are called to sit alongside, make breakfast, who don't deserve it while they're soaking wet with their choices sitting across from you. That's who we're called to be. Because that's who Jesus is for us. It's not that we're shepherding people and we're some sort of messianic replacement. It's that that's who we all are for Jesus. We are soaking wet, standing before him, dripping, drenched with our choices. And he is asking, Danny, do you love me? God, you know I love you. I preach for you every single week. Mm Mm-hmm. What about that cider situation? I'm grieved, Lord, with my failures. (laughs) I'm grieved, Lord, with my transactional relationships. I'm grieved, Lord, it doesn't take hardly anything for me to move at a pace beyond you. That's why we follow Jesus. That's why he is our rabbi. That's why we are covered, as they say, in the dust of him, because we walk so closely down the path that he leads that we can't help but feel and look like his presence. This is what Jesus is teaching these people. That will be the cornerstone of the church and what he's still teaching you You have people in your life, if you are a Christ follower, that you were supposed to go and sit and serve breakfast, even though they didn't bring anything to the table. You were supposed to look past their soaking, drenched, wet choices, see into their eyes, and let them know, I love you. We are called to protect people from wolves, from danger, from lifestyle choices that are destructive to one's heart and body. We are called to do that, but not by raising flags and pointing and ridiculing, but by relationship, by coming alongside people to the point they have zero doubt in their grieved mind that we love them as they are. Jesus is still desiring to have this conversation today. If you are not a Christ follower, Jesus is wanting to do this with you. He is wanting to remind you that he loves you soaking wet just as you are. He is reminding you that he wants to remain in relationship with you and that his good news is news for you right as you are sitting in this chair 
right now. When possible, we are supposed to be friends that remain. Maybe not remaining in all friendships at the same level. Even Jesus spoke to the 5,000, was known by the 72, but truly invested in 12 and did life with three. There is a balance to be had. But in all of our friendships, we should be asking, where might the good news for our time be shared? And so in this way, may the good news of Jesus continue to be passed through relationship from one heart to another, for he still remains, and so should we. So should we. I feel like in this service, I want to give an opportunity um, different than the other experiences. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to have you close your eyes. If you feel comfortable, if not, you can keep them open. But for those who just want to kind of sit in the space, for some of us in this room, uh, God, we are being reminded right now that, that you have remained on that shore in spite of our choices, in spite of us returning to the old life or the old coping mechanisms or the old ways. You have remained on that shore calling out to us, children, how is this life that you've chosen meeting your needs, your emotional, spiritual needs? And I think some of us in this room need to confess back that it is not, that we have caught nothing, that we are not fulfilled. We are just drifting on a placid experience. Maybe it's time we put our lives on the other side of the boat put our hope into something more than our own cleverness or plans. Maybe it's time to set down the facade and stop pretending. Just be honest that we're moving at a pace and we've become nothing more than buyers and sellers of relationship. If that's something that you need to confess, it can be as simple as saying in your heart, God, that's me. That's my story. And I, I don't know how to get out of it. But I know you do. So maybe today, spiritually, you just throw yourself back in to relationship with him. You drift closer to his presence and as you climb out, you sit at that fire with that meal that he's made that reminds you that he already knows what you need. And you let him ask you, do you love me? Because I love you, Christ wants you to know. Just as you are. No performance. No metrics. Just you because you are a child of his. If you've never accepted this story as your story, maybe today is that day that you say, God, I, I need something more. I recognize that you died on a cross. I don't understand it, but I... I can feel it to be true. May you restore my heart and my story. May you forgive my sins. 
May you become my best friend even though I'm not a very good one. Lord, I pray in this room that there are people who would both restore relationship with you and one another. That there would be a sweetness to the conversations. That they would just flow organically. That it wouldn't be contrived or manipulated or, or anything more than just two humans meeting to talk about the love they have. that They just don't know how to express well. May we see homecomings. May we see marriages healed. May we see friendships connected. May we see spirituality finally received. We are so incredibly grateful, God, for you, for this space, and for the way that you love us. We lift all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to end that one just like that. That's uh, different than the other services, but that's because somebody in this room wrecked it. So that's, that was for you. Uh, Jesus loves you so very much, and my hope is that we can experience more and more of that love here in this place because we decide to be a people who remain. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great rest of your week. I hope to see you next week when we close the series. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless. See you next week.